From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon and welcome to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, a Senior Vice President here at the Family Research Council. And I'm honored to be your host on Fridays. Thank you so much for making Washington Watch part of your day. All right, coming up on today's program, we've got a lot to deal with. To begin with, Israel is mourning the deaths of three hostages who were mistakenly killed today by IDF forces in Gaza. This news comes at the same time that the Biden administration has reportedly been pressing Israel to transition their offensive to a lower intensity phase in a matter of weeks, not months. We had a very constructive conversation yesterday about the transition from the high intensity phase forward. And we expect that that will occur in the future. When exactly that happens and under exactly what conditions will be a continuing intensive discussion between the United States and Israel. Well, that was White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan at the U.S. Embassy in Tel Aviv earlier today after meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and members of the War Cabinet the day before. So is the Biden administration giving in to the mounting pressure to tell Israel to end the war? Well, Congressman Keith Self, who serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, will join me in just a few moments to discuss this. And yesterday, former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy delivered his farewell address on the House floor after announcing last week that he will be leaving Congress at the end of the year. What I'm most proud of is what the future holds. The legacy will be about the ones I see who serve here now. And I know the potential of what they will do. I know the potential of this nation. I am so thankful to be given the opportunity to serve. Of course, that was Congressman McCarthy, but he is not the only one who has announced their planned departure from Congress. There is an enormous wave of retirements and resignations that are coming from both chambers this term. And the question is, what kind of effect will this wave have on the approaching 2024 elections? Well, FRC Action's Brent Kylan will join me later in the program with his analysis of all of this. And speaking of elections, there are shocking numbers from a new poll that indicates how one in five voters who submitted a mail-in ballot during the 2020 elections admit to committing fraudulent activity in violation of federal law. One out of five. Well, might we see this same thing as we come into 2024? Or are we in a better place now as it relates to election integrity? Hans von Spakovsky, manager of the Heritage Foundation's Election Law Reform Initiative, will join me a little later in the program with that discussion. In the transit agency, that operates the transportation system here in Washington, D.C. They recently rejected some ads that sought to teach Americans about the faith of our founding fathers. But among those that are challenging that rejection, you'll be surprised. The leftist ACLU. We'll talk about this with the head of that organization uh, who created the ad, Tim Barton of Wall Builders, as well as Jeremy Dyes from First Liberty Institute. So you don't want to miss that. We have a packed, packed program coming your way. And of course, our website is always TonyPerkins.com in case you miss any portion of today's program. Or if you want to catch some past shows, they're all there for you, along with a lot of resources. So be sure to check that out, TonyPerkins.com. All right, the Biden administration has been getting increasingly critical of Israel as pressure really continues to build from those who have typically been supportive of the president. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, speaking at the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem earlier today, said Israel is intending to avoid civilian casualties in its war against Hamas in the Gaza Strip. But he went on to say that the U.S. wants to see the results match up to that. Making matters worse, the Israel Defense Forces said today that it had mistakenly killed 
three hostages that had been held by Hamas in Gaza City. So, yeah, is the administration beginning to do what it said it would not do, and that would be to participate in backseat quarterbacking, so to speak? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Keith Self. He's a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee as well as the Veterans Affairs Committee. He also personally served our nation proudly for some 25 years before retiring from the Army with the rank of Lieutenant Colonel. He represents the 3rd Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Self, always great to have you on Washington Watch. Good to see you. Thank you, Jody. Great to be here. All right. Well, if anyone knows what it's like to be on the battlefield, you certainly do. I mean, you've been deployed to a host of different places. Uh, what do you think about the Biden administration appearing to move to what I refer to as a backseat quarterback position? Uh, well, they're caving to the progressive left and the globalists around the world. Uh, they are caving uh, to the calls to, uh, for Israel to back off. Israel's been very clear they are going to des uh, destroy the infrastructure of Hamas. And uh, the Biden administration, they can't talk out of both sides of their mouth, Jody. You're either going to support Israel or you're not. They say they're not going to tell them what to do. And yet, uh, not only they're talking tactics with them, they have openly suggested that they might need to change their government. I always thought we talked regime change with our enemies, not our friends, not our allies. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, I think a lot of this rhetoric coming from the administration right now is frankly making a lot of us nervous as to uh, the reality of the relationship between the United States and Israel, which has been in the past so strong. But it seems to be getting shaky. For example, uh, according to a, a couple of uh, U.S. and Israeli officials, uh, the White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan uh, really said to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, and as well as a member of the members of the War Cabinet, uh, that Israel needs to uh, transition their war uh, to uh, a less intense phase, and they need to do so in a matter of weeks, not months. Uh, what, how do you take that? Uh, well, if they do, frankly, it will take longer if they go to a lower-intensity conflict. Uh, but look, Mossad has already said they're going to go find the leaders of Hamas. So that's their low-intensity war as they find the leaders of Hamas around the world. Uh, but I'm very concerned about them trying to tell Israel what to do. Uh, Israel is a sovereign nation, and, uh, and I think that they, uh, they need to, we need to support Israel. The House has obviously passed $14 billion in Israeli support, uh, and yet the Senate has not taken it up. Uh, so the Biden administration, if they're truly going to support Israel, they need to be jawboning the Senate to get that passed and on the president's desk. Yeah, yeah, I read a, an article earlier today that, that really there was one particular portion of it that really shook me. And I, I want to throw this your way and get your reaction to it. But the, the Biden administration uh, ha has been questioned over remarks uh, that the president himself made during a campaign event that Israel has engaged in what he referred to as indiscriminate bombings. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds to me as though the president is basically accusing Israel of a war crime. Uh, indiscriminate bombings uh, is, uh, that's uh, a very significant choice of words, don't you think? It is, it is horrible. And Israel has made very clear they are trying to be strategic and surgical with their strikes. But when Hamas uses the Palestinian citizens as human shields, uh, then there are going to be some collateral damage. We certainly grieve for the families of the hostages that were killed. Uh, but, but I understand that this is war and uh, accidents do happen. And I know the Israeli uh, IDF is trying their best not to make mistakes like that. But frankly, President Biden just recently uh, wrote to Netanyahu that I love you, but I don't agree with the thing you say. Uh, that, and, and I have to tell you, the Texas translation of what he just said is, bless your little pumpkin heart. He doesn't agree with Netanyahu at all. And I disagree violently with their, uh, their call, his, his call to change the government. Israel needs a conservative government now as they defend themselves.
Yeah, and uh, and no one has the uh, the ability to speak into their ability as to how they're going to defend themselves as they do. So all of this is very disturbing. If I can, Congressman, self switch gears with you here for just a moment. There's so much that's been happening uh, in D.C. on the Hill. Uh, so if I can switch gears, the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said yesterday that negotiators had made some pretty good progress in their talks regarding a supplemental funding package that's aimed at uh, providing some aid, aid to Ukraine, uh, as well as reforming some of our immigration policy. Um, and the Biden administration, frankly, has made some similar remarks. What are you hearing on Capitol Hill? Is progress actually being made? I have no idea, but let me be very clear. The speaker has been very clear. Unless we see transformative change, actual actions on the border, there will be no consideration of a supplemental package. Um, I believe that that is the case. And frankly, if the Senate negotiates this supplemental package like they did the recently passed yesterday, I guess, the National Defense Authorization Act, it's not going to come out well in the House, I will tell you. Uh, they don't. The, the Senate uh, does not care about U.S. national interests. They are more concerned about getting Ukraine uh, funding than they are securing our own border. Which, that's a real head-scratcher for all of us. Why in the world would we take so much initiative, time, effort, energy, resources, and the like to defend another country while we are not even defending ours? I just take a hats off to each of you who are standing firm on this issue. I, I believe by far and away. The American public stands with you. They want our borders to be secure. Listen, before we run out of time, one other thing that uh, came up that I wanted to throw your way, according to a, a new Rand Corp study uh, that came out this past week, it seems as though most Americans actually would discourage their young person from joining or enlisting in the military. Uh, what's your thoughts on that, and why would people be discouraging enlistment? I understand that uh, sentiment uh, because, frankly, the people who want to join the military, they want the challenge, they want the camaraderie, they want to serve something larger than themselves. And they don't see that in the military today. They see the woke policies, they, they see the DEI, they see the unfair treatment of different uh, classes of folks. Uh, but I tell you, I want to still send the best and the brightest to the service academies, Jody, because our young our young Americans will go in harm's way again at some point. I don't know when, I don't know where, but I want them to have the best leadership they can have when they go, regardless and in spite of this administration and the woke policy. Absolutely. Congressman Keith Self of Texas, thank you so much for joining us here on Washington Watch and for bringing your outstanding expert insight. Merry Christmas to you. Thanks for joining us. Merry Christmas to you, Jody. Thank you. All right, friends, coming up, Congress is on pace right now to have more members leave after this uh, session of Congress, the 118th. Uh, more leaving than we've had in well over a decade. What is going on with all of this departure? And what would the implications be as they leave as, into an election cycle? We'll discuss all this right after the break, so don't go anywhere. Much more to cover straight ahead. Stay tuned. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org.
Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I'm your Friday host, Jody Heiss. Glad to have you with us. All right, yesterday, another Republican, in fact, uh, Congressman Drew Ferguson from my home state of Georgia, he announced that he also will be retiring from the House of Representatives upon the conclusion of the 118th Congress. He is, is but one of many who are doing that. Uh, in fact, there's been so many lawmakers who have recently announced their decision not to seek re-election that Congress is literally on the pace to have more members leave this election cycle at, before this election cycle comes up than any other cycle over at least the last 10 years. Well, what could the implications of all of this mean, especially in light of an election year coming up? Well, here to discuss this is Brent Kylan. He's the Vice President for Strategic Initiatives at the Family Research Council, as well as FRC Action. Brent, thanks for joining me today. It's good to see you. Thanks, Jody. Good to be with you today. All right. Well, let's uh, begin, if we can, first of all, uh, with the, the House. Let's look at this, the House of Representatives. We all know that the majority uh, with for the GOP and the House of Representatives is extremely slim, uh, so uh, where do we stand right now? I know there's been some moving of George Santos and others. As of right now, where do we stand in terms of the majority in the House? Well, like you said, uh, Jody, the GOP went into this year with an extremely slim majority, 222 seats uh, in a chamber where you need 218 to pass anything. So you can only afford to lose four votes in your caucus to get anything through, um, which is a big deal. Uh, Jody, you know this better than I as a, as a former member, but there's a lot of great House members, strong conservatives, uh, but there's also some moderates, you know, so to get consensus uh, almost 100% on some of these key issues can be a difficult task. Uh, then to complicate things, those uh, the, the current congressional districts that we're looking at are not certain. Um, we just saw North Carolina new lines come out there, which is expected to help the Republicans. They're, they're projected to pick up maybe three, four new seats there because of the new, those new lines. Uh, but then just earlier this week in New York, we saw the court mandate redrawing those congressional districts. So that's supposed to favor probably Democrats by maybe as many as six seats. So all of these things make, make a huge difference. Um, then to your question specifically, where are we with the members? Well, 
we had George Santos, the Republican from New York, expelled earlier this month. Uh, so the Republicans are, are down one seat there. The uh, race to replace him or the special election to replace him will happen in mid-February. Uh, but the important thing there is that this is a this is a toss-up House district, but that actually leans a little bit Democrat. So the, there's the chance that that the Republicans don't keep that seat. Then we have um, Kevin McCarthy's announcement earlier this month that he's going to be stepping down by the end of the year. So that's another another seat at some point that the Republicans will be will be down. Now we don't know exactly when. The replacement election will be there if his um, if his resignation goes into effect by January 3rd next month, then the governor is going to have to call for a, a special election relatively soon. If it's after January 3rd, he could decide to leave that seat open, which he probably would do because it's a deep red district. Uh, then thirdly, you have another Republican in Ohio, Bill Johnson, who has announced he's going to um, retire uh, sometime by mid-March. We don't have an exact date, uh, so we'll see when exactly that happens. He's going to take a leadership position in a university there. Uh, but, Jody, you're looking at a situation there where at least for some period of time, you could have three uh, House seats that just last month were in GOP control that could be vacant. So in a in a chamber where you had 222 votes, you're down to uh, 219, um, or, or excuse me, you need 218 to pass something. You had 222. You're down to 219, and so extremely slim margins. You're talking about even a couple of health accidents away from the the majority going the other way. Yeah, just a heartbeat away, really. But but. For every two that leave, that 218 majority goes down one number two. So the, the the magic number, I guess, would be what at this point, if we lose three, it would be down to 217 for a majority, uh, not 218. But nonetheless, we're just a heartbeat or so away from uh, this whole thing just being a, a, a devastating situation, to my knowledge, something that's never happened in our country before. Which side? Side of the aisle is seeing the greatest number of members exit. Is there a Republican or Democrat? Which one seems to be leaving in greater numbers right now? Well, you know, the interesting thing, Jody, is that it's significantly more Democrats. Uh, last numbers I checked, there are about 35 House members that are either retiring or uh, seats that have been vacant this year. Um, 23 of the 35 are held by Democrats, so like two-thirds in the Senate. Last count I saw was eight total vacancies or retirements. Five of those are Democrats. So so you have about two-thirds of Democrats with this huge number but the the ones that are going into effect right away are the are, are more Republicans because most of the Democrats are actually opting to serve out their terms through next year or um, those seats have been um, replaced. The the seats have a, a replacement already. Well, this uh, it's perilous times. All right, we just have a little bit of time left, Brent. But uh, just from your perspective, what do you think? Is there anything? Uh, really, that our viewers, our listeners right now can do uh, in the midst of these announcements and the changes that are coming? What would you say to those who are listening or watching? A couple of things come to mind for me. One is I think this is a great reminder of just how important every race is, every seat is. When you're talking about margins this close, it's it's a great reminder. Every seat matters. Every vote really matters. The other thing is I, I think it really informs how we pray for our government officials. Um, of course, pray for them legislatively that they vote the right way, make the right decisions. That's important. But this is a reminder to also pray for them um, with the things that they have going on personally. Pray for their health. You know, pray for their safety, pray for good judgment, these sorts of things, because all of it really makes a difference. And these members have to deal with same things all of us have to deal with. And I know they all covet prayer on, on those issues as well. Brent Kylan, Vice President for Strategic Initiatives here at the Family Research Council and FRC Action. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, friends, coming up, the Transit Authority here in Washington, D.C. has rejected an ad to try to teach Americans about our founders' religions. 
You don't want to miss this. More coming your way in just a moment. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your Friday host, Jody Heiss. Glad to have you joining us this evening on Washington Watch. All right, the nonprofit organization Wall Builders, founded by historian David Barton, recently tried to advertise on the side of some Washington, D.C. public buses, uh, and his ad was rejected for allegedly violating advertising guidelines. Well, what did the ad show? Well, it showed our founding fathers along with this text that said, Christian, question mark, to find out about the faith of our founders, go to allbuilders.com. Well, does that sound anything like something that should be rejected? Well, we, we certainly don't think so. But guess what? Neither does the leftist organization ACLU. Even they are throwing their hands up in the air on all of this. Well, that tells you something. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Wall Builders President Tim Barton and Attorney Jeremy Dyes of First Liberty Institute, which is among the groups challenging the advertising restrictions of the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority. So, Tim and Jeremy, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you both. Thanks, Congressman. Good to be with you. Thanks for having us. Well, it's, it's our honor to have you. Tim, let me begin with you. Uh, just walk us through your efforts to try to get these ads on the buses there in Washington, D.C. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, Congressman, as you know, we do a lot to try to teach Americans about American history. Uh, we go back to original documents and uh, we were in the middle of rebuilding a website, and we thought what would be really fun is in uh, kind of conjunction with the relatively new website to do an ad campaign. And we thought for people that are going to learn American history, there's not many places more people go than Washington, D.C. When you have the Smithsonian's and the Library of Congress, the National Archives, the Capitol building, there's so much there. And we thought that would be a great place for us to advertise, to let people know about the new website, all the things we're doing at Wall Builders. And so we thought well, what would be easy is to put up a picture of a really notable founding father, George Washington, and then just ask a question and direct people to the website where on our website, we actually acknowledge that the opening paragraphs is our claim is not that every one of the founding fathers were necessarily Christian, uh, although they're not also guilty of what they're often accused of today. However, if you want to know more about the founding fathers, we encourage you to study their own writings, see for yourself what they said. And then we have dozens and dozens of quotes from the founding fathers talking about their faith. And, and, and this isn't us 
projecting anything. This is literally us saying, here are the quotes. But when we took out that ad, there was an agency we worked with. The agency uh, came back to us and they said, hey, the... Uh, the, the, the person in charge of these ads over uh, for the buses has said that this is not acceptable. It's not going to work. Uh, and so we quickly contacted First Liberty and said, okay, guys, what do we do? And part of their advice was, well, let's just see what the problem is. Maybe let's, let's ask a few more questions. And so one of the things that we tried was if, if we remove the word Christian and just have a picture of George Washington kneeling in prayer from uh, the kind of iconic view of Valley Forge or maybe the founding fathers at the Constitutional Convention. And if we just have that image and then a little QR code leads people to the website, maybe that could be enough. And even then, we were told that that was not an acceptable ad because it violated some of their guidelines. And among the guidelines, it's crazy that they say that anything with a controversial view is not allowed, or if it's anything political or religious, which at that point, that's just super arbitrary and subjective. And so we really felt like there was somebody at the uh, Metro uh, group, who right, the WMATA, who was kind of in charge of this, somebody targeted us and said that we just don't like these guys and we're not going to let them advertise. And so fortunately, we were able to, to get with First Liberty, and, and they're helping represent us on this case. Incredible. All right, Jeremy, let me jump over to you then. Tell us about the lawsuit and uh, what, what the argument is. Yeah, it's pretty simple. We just simply say that there's somebody at Metro that has way too much authority and they can pick and choose what advertisements they're going to allow on the bus. For instance, you've got advertisements on D.C. Metro buses that include uh, advertisements for alcohol, online gambling. You have advertisements for a social justice school in the D.C. Metroplex. There's an advertisement for the Book of Mormon, that uh, satire musical that lampoons religion more generally. And then uh, some of my favorites, you've got advertisements for Plan B, as well as an advertisement for uh, advocating for term limits of Supreme Court justices. Uh, again, their advertising guidelines say that they don't allow advertisements that uh, have issues presenting various public opinions on which there could be varying public opinions. Well, that's everything. And yet uh, they'll allow advertisements for gambling and alcohol and worse, but deny advertisements featuring the guy kneeling in prayer of which their town is actually named. And so uh, we've just simply alleged that this is obvious and open viewpoint discrimination that uh, they have no business controlling, that they've vested way too much authority in the hands of one administrator. And that's the kind of thing that the Supreme Court has said repeatedly our Constitution forbids. Unbelievable. Were you surprised of the ACLU support in all of this? Look, I was grateful to have their participation. We're obviously on different ends of the ideological spectrum, but we both agree, perhaps where we overlap the most, is that uh, the government deciding who can speak and where they can speak is a really, really bad idea. And so even though they may disagree or even agree with this message, it doesn't matter. They believe pure, uh, pure speech, free speech ought to reign in this country as it has for 200 plus years and are willing to join us and link arms with wall builders to stand for that very important principle, not just for wall builders, but for every religious organization and every other speaker across this country. I think that's a very laudable move on their part and for us as well. Well, listen, I want to thank both of you guys for the incredible work that you do separately and now together. Uh, you're heroes and to so many of us across the country. We're definitely going to be keeping up halts on this as it goes forward and look forward to talking with you further. Merry Christmas to both of you. God bless. All right, friends, coming up, we have some shocking results that, in a poll that says one out of five voters who submitted a mail-in ballot in the 2020 election admitted to fraudulent activity in violating federal law. One in five. We're going to be discussing that right after the break. Stay tuned. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Well, happy Friday. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your Friday host, Jody Heiss. Glad to have you joining us today on Washington Watch. All right, with the new year rapidly approaching, I want to encourage you to plan on joining Family Research Council in our two-year Stand on the Word Bible reading plan. It all starts all afresh and anew on January 1st. And for the 2024-25 reading plan, we have a brand new resource, the Stand on the Word Journal. Now, this journal comes with uh, spaces for you to take notes. It's got a lot of thought-provoking questions. It's got all sorts of great stuff in there. And as we head into 2024, now is the perfect time for you to get your copy and to join FRC's Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. And for your generous tax-deductible year-end gift, we'll send you a free copy of this new resource So we encourage you to do so, to give to FRC today, or if you'd like to order multiple copies of the journal, you can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, text the word GIVE to 67742. You can also visit our website, TonyPerkins.com, or of course, FRC.org as well. But thank you in advance for supporting us, and we look forward to you joining us on the Stand on the Word Bible reading plan beginning in January. Okay, here's a shocker. A clear illustration of the shenanigans that took place after changes were made on the whim ahead of the 2020 elections under the guise of a COVID response. Uh, This week, Rasmussen Reports and the Heartland Institute released the results of a new poll that indicated that one out of every five voters who submitted a mail-in ballot during the 2020 election admitted to committing fraudulent activity in violation of federal law. This includes things like filling out a ballot for a friend or a family member, filling out a ballot for someone else. It included things like submitting a ballot for a state that these people no longer lived in, Now, Democrats claim that they want to make it easier for everyone to vote, but this type of stuff 
just makes it much easier for anyone to cheat. And the question is, are we going to see more of this in the upcoming election? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Hans von Spaskowski, managing uh, our manager of the Heritage Foundation's Election Law Reform Initiative and author of Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote. Hans also served two years as a member of the Federal Elections Commission and was also appointed to the Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity back in 2017. Hans, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to see you. Thanks for having me. All right. First of all, I think this poll for most all of us is just a shock. Uh, But is it surprising to someone like you who's been following this? Are you surprised? Uh, No, I'm not, because, you know, absentee ballots are the most insecure way of voting because they're the only ballots that are voted outside the supervision of election officials and outside the observation of poll watchers. So, frankly, it's pretty easy for fraud to be committed. And, And for most states, look, most states have almost no security measures in place to make sure that the person who is the registered voter is actually filling in and sending in the absentee ballot. So, no, I can't say I'm surprised by this. It's 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 unfortunate, but it's no surprise. Uh, it's uh, it, it is absolutely shocking. I tell you, when you look at when you consider this, it's somewhere we had the most people vote by apps by uh, uh, mail in ballots this time. Right. Uh, than we've ever had by far. Something like 43% of the voters in 2020 cast their vote by a mail-in ballot. I mean, that is an enormous amount of people, over 66 million votes out of, you know, a little over 150 million. I mean, this is just startling. So what we are talking, if one out of five of them admits that they were involved in some sort of fraudulent behavior, we are talking very serious issues here, aren't we? We are. We're talking about very large numbers. And while people always talk about the presidential race, uh, remember, when when we go in on Election Day, we're voting on very long ballots. I mean, uh, in a a presidential election year, you're also going to be voting for members of Congress, state legislatures, local city councils, county commission races. And most of those races are won by a very small margin of, of votes. And it doesn't take a lot of fraud to change an outcome in a race like that. Yeah, you know, and I didn't mention this going into it, just uh, mentioning a couple of things off the top of my head that come with uh, some of the, the, the ways that some of these people admitted that they uh, engaged in fraudulent behavior, be it voting for someone else or voting from a different state. But many of them were actually paid to, to do this as yes. well. Uh, what, what kind of numbers of people are we talking about and who in the world is paying them? Do we have any idea? We don't know how uh, we don't know how big that problem is, but we know it's a problem. You, you may have seen that just within the last month, an investigation was opened up in uh, I think it's Springfield, Massachusetts, after an election official heard someone who came into a polling place say, oh, I need that I voted sticker in order to get paid. And they actually have video from a camera uh, outside the polling place showing a man who had driven up in a black uh, SUV actually paying off voters as they came out. So unfortunately, again, we have a long history of that kind of thing. And if you check the Heritage Election Fraud Database. You know, we have a database of proven cases of fraud. We're we're about to go over 1,500 documented cases. And unfortunately, you'll you'll find many cases in there where people were bribed to vote a particular way. That's just unbelievable. You know, and all of this comes in the midst of environment in which the left continually spouts off their talking points about there was no evidence of widespread election fraud. Are are they just trying to cover up or are they incapable of connecting the dots? What do you think is behind all of this? I know you've taken a lot of hits with it. I have as well. Uh, What's behind this constant drumbeat 
of no evidence. Well, they used to say there was no evidence of fraud at all. Now they use the term, there's no widespread fraud. Well, my question to that is, well, well, how widespread does it need to be before you want to start taking steps to stop exactly. it? I, look, I, I think they push it because while there are cases of both Democrats and Republicans in our database um, engaging in fraud, uh, the majority of the cases are uh, Democrats. And in fact, sometimes it's Democrats stealing uh, votes from other people in their own party. Um, again, just within the last month, an election was overturned, this time in Connecticut, and it was in a, uh, a primary election, Democratic primary election. So this happens like that all the time. By the way, keep in mind that the left has uh, filed lawsuits in multiple states trying to throw out even the minimal security measures that are in place in some states. They are challenging, for example, signature comparison statutes. They are challenging states that require a witness on an absentee ballot. So even when states try to do something to make absentee ballots most, more secure, they're instantly challenged by the left who doesn't want anything that will secure the election process. Well, that's frightening. Uh, that is, uh, you know, I sat in so many hearings on the oversight uh, committee as we were dealing with this and they're pushing for HR1 and uh, as right. you know COVID being the big excuse as to why all our election processes needed to be changed and this is the outcome uh, and it not only has a potential of affecting outcomes of elections but it also the voters out there lose confidence in our system which that is a whole nother enormous problem that we face. All right, let me let me keep pushing here because I, you are the expert on all of this, not just mail-in voting. I mean, th there's so many other issues. This is one of many as it relates right. to election in integrity. Tell us some of the big, uh, some of the other big issues that need to be addressed. Well, look, one of the other big issues was indicated by uh, the Rasmussen poll that we were just discussing. Remember, uh, part of the polling showed a large percentage of individuals admitting that they had voted in a state where they no longer live. Uh, so what that means is, you know, as, as you know, we're a highly mobile society. People move a lot in this, this country. And it's fairly easy for someone to uh, get registered to vote. And then when they move to another state, get registered in that uh, new second state, but leave their registration uh, in their old state and vote, for example, in person in one state by absentee ballot in the other. That's, that's another big problem. And for folks who don't think this happens, <laughs> uh, I would remind them that about 10 years ago, a Democratic congressional candidate in Maryland, her name was Wendy Rosen, uh, she, was, she won the nomination, was going to challenge one of the lone Republicans uh, in Maryland until it was discovered that she was registered to vote in both Maryland and Florida and had been voting in both states illegally in multiple elections. Wow. Wow. All right. The, the Heritage Foundation, I'm familiar with this, but maybe some of our viewers or listeners are not, but the Heritage Foundation has published an election integrity scorecard That's right. that, that rates the election laws, regulations of all the states uh, and the District of Columbia, uh, but as it relates specifically to the security and integrity of the election process, uh, tell us about that and what you're seeing across the country. Uh, we came up with an objective uh, scorecard that rates states on 47 different criteria, and it's everything from whether they require an ID to vote, both in person uh, and with absentee ballots, to what steps do they take to maintain and clean up their voter rolls so that they are accurate and don't have people who are dead on them or people who have moved moved away. And then we compared every state to these 47 best practices. Um, the best states in the country, probably no surprise to you, are mostly red states because they're actually willing to pass reforms. Uh, a perfect score is 100. 
Uh, no state in the country got 100. The highest scores were in the low 80s. Uh, those are places like Georgia, Florida, Texas, Mississippi, and other states that have actually done a pretty good job with reforms. The worst states in the country, probably, again, no surprise to anyone, are places like California and New York, which not only don't clean up their voter rolls, uh, but they don't even require an ID to vote. <laughs> so if you want to commit fraud wow. in a state like that, very easy to do, and your chances of getting caught are minimal. Wow. That's uh, all right. So friends can can find that um, that information where it's if they go to heritage.org and look under election integrity, that's one of our issues. They'll pull up not only our scorecard, which gives a detailed analysis of every state, but also they can pull up our election fraud database. So if you're having an argument with someone, they say, oh, fraud doesn't happen. Hey, you can pull up our database, pull up any state, and it will list the fraud cases that have been successfully prosecuted in that state. A great resource there. All right, but one of the things that, that uh, comes up to me a lot, Hans, is you know you can have the best laws. Georgia has some good laws right now. Right. They've passed uh, SB 202. They're making some great steps in the right direction. But at the end of the day, uh, none of these laws account for very much if there's not some capacity to enforce the laws. That's right. uh, so uh, how, how do we as citizens help ensure that our laws for election integrity are upheld and enforced? Boy, that is a that is a key question. And in fact, uh, we took that into account when we put our scorecard together. And one of the uh, things we score a state on is whether they have a law that allows any voter in a state to sue an election official to require them to abide by the law. In some states, voters don't have the ability to do that. Virginia is, is one of them. But uh, we require that if you want to get a good score with the Heritage Foundation's analysis, you'd better have a law that allows voters to sue election officials who are not complying with the law. Absolutely. You know, and it just looks like, and I know our time's uh, getting away from us here, but it looks like we are entering into a phase where every election cycle, there's going to be some election variant of COVID that raises its head. And uh, we're seeing what's happening now in China and different places. And you just walk around town. People are wearing masks all over again. Uh, right. This is a time for us to take seriously election integrity. So uh, once again, Hans, give us uh, where people can go to find out where their particular states are on the scorecard uh, and how they can stay on top of this issue. Go to heritage.org, heritage.org, uh, click on issues, and there you'll find uh, election integrity. And if you click on that, you'll pull up not only all the articles and papers we've written about this, but both our scorecard and our election fraud database. Thank you so much, Hans von Spakowski. We appreciate so much the incredible work that you do uh, and for the Heritage Foundation as well. Merry Christmas to you and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me and Merry Christmas to you and, and all your viewers too. Thank you so much. All right, friends, that wraps up yet another week here at Washington Watch. Uh, don't forget, Proverbs 29, 25 tells us and brings a snare. But those who trust in the Lord are safe. Be safe. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.